This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. Welcome to my podcast. It's been a busy week, a lot going on, and we are we are actually near our our 15 millionth listener, our 15 millionth download. So uh, thank you, all of those of you who've been listening since December 17th. Uh, it's eight months of of Rumble, and um, we've built a, a, quite an audience. Which I'm extremely grateful for, and we will have our online virtual uh, drawing of one of you to uh, win the prize, <laughs> the, the unknown prize. And the prize may be just that I'm, I'll have you on my podcast. You can be my guest. Uh, so the way the way that this works is um, because this this to, to do a drawing virtually obviously is uh, a bit nonsensical. So all I need you to do is uh, just send me an email um, at uh, mike at michaelmore.com. Very easy to remember, mike at michaelmore.com. All you have to write in the email is, I'm the 15 millionth listener. Send that to me. And then we will, we will actually do a physical drawing. Uh, we'll print those out and, and draw uh, the winner uh, from, from that. So, uh, and it's going to be anytime soon here. So don't, uh, don't, uh, don't delay. I have with me as my guest today on Rumble, one of uh, what I would consider one of the original rum- Rumblers, <laughs> a person who has, who has been a fighter for human rights, against fascism, for democracy. And I met her because uh, she and her co-chairs of the Women's March back in um, 2017, January 2017, January 21st. Her co-chairs, uh, Tamika Mallory and uh, uh, Carmen Perez and Bob Bland, they invited me to speak. And so the and the fourth co-chair here um, that I didn't mention is our guest. Uh, her name is Linda Sarsour. You know her. If you don't know her, check in with what she stands for and what she believes in and what she's been working on. She's a, a Brooklyn-born Palestinian Muslim American. I'll ask her in which order uh, do we uh, list those? Brooklyn, Palestine, Muslim. She's been a community organizer and an activist for some time. Um, So she not only served as the co-chair of the Women's March, which, by the way, if you remember, I don't need to remind you, I think that this was the single largest one-day protest in American history when that happened on January 21st, 2017, which was, of course, the day after uh, Trump's inauguration. She... Linda is a, um, a courageous and uh, relentless uh, freedom fighter, and not just on behalf of uh, Palestinians or Muslims or Americans, but all communities that have been targeted by state power, uh, by the criminal justice system, by racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, you name it. Uh, you can find Linda there on the front lines. Um, she also wrote a book this year called We Are Not Here to Be Bystanders, A Memoir of Love and Resistance. And the foreword of this wonderful book was written by the amazing and wonderful uh, Harry Belafonte. Um, so she joins us today from uh, not Brooklyn, but Louisville, Kentucky, where she has recently moved 
to dedicate her time to seeking justice for Brianna Taylor. I mean, amazing. Thank you. And welcome to Rumble, Linda Sarsour. Thank you, Michael, so much for having me. I'm so honored to be speaking to you. It's an honor for me. And it, it was an honor that, uh, that the four of you <laughs> invited me to speak at the, uh, at the Women's March. There might have been maybe uh, four men who spoke that day, uh, but the, the, the majority, all of them, I think, but me were men of color. If I was going to pick only white man, I was going to pick Michael Moore. Oh wow! Well, well, thank you for that. I I was humbled by it. And of all the people that got to be on the stage that day, and I think you know what I'm I'm talking about when I say to stand on that stage and look out mm-hmm. on the largest number of human beings I had ever seen gathered live and in person anywhere. And I've been going to demonstrations since the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have. Been places around the world. I have never imagined a site where your eyeballs can't see the end of wherever the end is, wherever the horizon is, because it was just a sea of those pink hats and 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 a million plus people. And that's not to mention all the other people around around the country and around the world who marched that day. Linda, just uh, first of all, thank you, thank you for inviting me to speak uh, there, and thank you for organizing it with your friends. Thank you. Thank you for taking our invitation, Michael, because a lot of people hadn't taken us seriously, didn't believe what we were capable of as women. Um, and you believed in us from day one and you came and you saw the endless sea of human beings and saw the history that we made all together that day. Well, it was it was history and it was it was so uplifting. And um, I think all of us who were either there or who were at the other marches around the country around the world, or if they, if you couldn't go, if you were just watching it at home, the feeling at the end of the day was really a sense of, um, we can do anything. No one's going to stop us. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, we've got Trump in the White House, but um, he's, got a, he's got something coming uh, to him. And it, what, what was it, a week later mm-hmm. where – uh, the very first crime, sin of the Trump administration, the original sin, perhaps, because it was his first vicious act, his executive order, like I think believe, literally seven days later. Oh, exactly. Where, exa- yeah, where uh, the march was on Sunday. Is that right? Was it Saturday? I saw on the one week anniversary of his inauguration, he signs this executive order, explain to people what that executive order said. The first executive order signed by the Trump administration was to fulfill, to begin to fulfill a promise, Michael, that he had made to his supporters around ending immigration from Muslim countries to the United States of America. So basically, we called it the Muslim ban. And it started out with seven Muslim majority countries and then ended up at six uh, Muslim majority countries. That was back in 2017. And now we're in 2020. And now that list has now increased to 14 countries, some of which are still Muslim majority countries and others that are African nations that also hold Muslim populations. So so this 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 administration started with our community. And what was beautiful about the response to that executive order was, as you remember, Michael, there 
thousands of people flooded the airports across the country. And that really, for us as Women's March organizers, we were watching that from afar. And some of us, of course, like myself, I had to get to an airport because that's just what I do. I was like, wow, if there wasn't a Women's March, if we didn't prove to the people that we are an unstoppable group when we stand in solidarity together, I don't know if people would have stood up for the Muslim American community and those of us, those who are our family members who are no longer able to come to the United States. So that was a beautiful sight to see. And as you know, as people who've been impacted by the post 9-11 policies, there really was never that kind of public solidarity with the Muslims in the way we saw around the Muslim ban. So while the while the Trump administration was organizing chaos against us and started with the Muslims, I had optimism that we were going to build a really strong progressive movement to push back against this administration. Right. So after years, decades of, of um, outright hatred toward uh, Muslim Americans, of violence against Muslim Americans, um, of, of blame for you name it. Um, and uh, this, is, this was going on before 9-11, post 9-11, awful awful stuff. And, and, and then, uh, our first, uh, black president, uh, it's not bad enough for the right wing and the Republicans that he was black. They had to also make a Muslim, you know, just let's, let's pile on here. And so, and so he had to be Muslim. He had to be born in, in, uh, Kenya, maybe Indonesia, another very, um, strong and very, uh, might actually be the largest Muslim country uh, mm-hmm. on, on the planet. Yeah. And so, it was felt that if you could tar someone with the Muslim brush, uh, that would be the way to undo them. And and this is so this has been going on for some time. It was amazing though that the people that showed up and I remember I remember this very well because it was it was I don't know like noon there and the next day on Saturday after the day after he signed the Muslim ban. And a good friend of mine, a longtime uh, producer uh, Eric Weinrib, was he was at Bed Bath and Beyond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with with somebody and he texts me and he goes, Oh my God, you know, this is, we've got to do something about this. You know, I hear, I hear people are going out to JFK. I said, Oh, are you, are you going? He goes, yes, I'm going. All right. Um, well, I'll post it to my, you know, nearly 10 million social media followers. And, and so, so he had it, he had it, he had it out there. And then on the way out there, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, let's live stream this on your social media. And, um, and so um, he got out there and I then posted on social media. I said, everybody, everybody now to the airport, whether in New York, you go to JFK, you're in Detroit, you go out to the airport, you go wherever you're at, go. And, um, and, and, and I'm, my part in this was small, but I'm just saying that, that everybody started posting, everybody, and if, you, if they were free, they, everybody started going. It, it had to have felt somewhat uplifting to you and to other Muslim Americans who have who have had to endure years of seeing, um, you know, essentially the majority of Americans not standing up for Muslims, all of a sudden dropping whatever they were doing and, and going to the airport and not leaving. I mean, refusing to leave, blocking the airports, shutting airports down, essentially. It was just, it was, uh, it was exhilarating, frankly, for me to see this and gave me hope that, yes, people eventually will do the right thing. You know, somebody once said to me, Americans, you know, we're kind of slow learners. Eventually, though, we come around. And that that was a beautiful day. It was. And, you know, it, it really speaks to Michael back to the, you know, the beginning of the conversation around the Women's March. 
it's one of the reasons why we did invite you to the Women's March, because you have been actually a staunch supporter of our Muslim American communities. You have been a voice for refugees. And, you know, we have we were already, um, you know, struggling with governors across the country who just didn't want to allow any refugees, particularly around Syrian refugees coming here. You remember the conversations that were happening even under the Obama administration where people were saying like, no Syrian refugees or maybe, and people saying, you know, maybe the Christian ones. And you have been a staunch supporter of our communities. And I just want everybody to know that. Um, And so for me, it was just a natural thing for you to be at the Women's March because voices like yours, Michael, sometimes try to get marginalized. And my mission has always been that the people who stand for justice, the people who are willing to risk everything that they have to stand up for what is right, that is who I want the mainstream of America to be. And when I saw those people run out to the airport and like you said, shut down terminals, lawyers got up from every corner of this country to defend the immigrants that were coming to this country, that were inside you know, detention facilities within the airport with CBP and attorneys looking for them. And then watching when those people came out after they were you know, in there for 11 and 10 and 14 hours and just to see their faces. And the first thing that they were greeted with was hundreds of, you know, American protesters. And this is what I want people around the world to know about us, who we're, who we really are, um, not as in the state or in the government, but the people like us, Michael, are the people that I want those people to remember forever, that we are people of democracy. We are people that welcome all those who are seeking a better life to come to this country. And it's not, that's not what our country is right now. And that's what I want to, um, you know, fight for every day. And it's why people like you and me, Michael, oftentimes find ourselves as targets of the opposition, because we bring a new vision to America. Um, And we're also willing to fight for that vision. And we're willing to risk what we have for that vision. Um, And we keep speaking the truth, regardless of how many, you know, cycles we go through of people saying we're wrong, or, you know, we hate America, or whatever other things people have said about me. And what I think about us, Michael, is that, you know, many of us that were in the Bernie campaign, you know, we are the true patriots in America because patriotism for me means people who love their country so much that they're willing to give everything to make their country truly the best nation on earth and a nation that really respects the dignity of all people who live here. And so we are the patriots. Um, and, and, and that is the kind of, and that's the, that's the symbolism of, of our work that I hope one day, you know, young people across the country will look back and say, I want to be like that patriot not the soldier killing innocent people in Iraq or in Afghanistan. The patriot that I want to be like is someone who stands up for democracy, that is dissent against state violence, that understands that the government is for the people by the people. And that's who I am and that's who you are, Michael. And I was very proud to see those people step up. And then the many people after that, the people who stood up against the attacks on health care, on reproductive rights, the kids who have been running in the streets, organizing and mobilizing around climate justice, the the wonderful, beautiful children at the March um, for Our Lives around gun violence. Mm, yeah. There's just been so many of these uh, groups that have reignited and reemerged and even newly emerged. And I'm very proud of the work we've done over the last four years. Well, it's it really ignited. I mean, this, like I said, it was the largest at the time. It was the largest demonstration in the history of the country, uh, a one-day demonstration. And the very next year, the kids from Parkland High School in, in Florida they organized uh, uh, another 
massive march that that I don't I'm I'm not into I'm not into Trump number counting, but basically it, it looked like it looked like what you did, and and then since and now the movement that we're in now, which they're calling the largest protest movement in the history of the country, because it's been a rolling ongoing uh, uprising since May 25th. And it, it, but you know, this also has its roots in, in Black Lives Matter, which happened, you know, was, was formed before all this and, and Occupy Wall Street. And, you know, all these things that, that started happening in the last decade or two, um, where people just decided they'd had enough. And, um, and I agree with you. I think that this kind of patriotism that you speak of, where it, you're not, I don't know, you're not really a patriotic American if you're only willing to stand up for certain Americans, for some Americans. It's the proof of your true patriotism is would you be willing to stand for the people, the group, the person who is being the most attacked, the most abused, uh, the most vilified? If you are willing to stand for that person, for those people, then to me, you're, you're the true American. And, 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 and it is how we're going to survive. If we're going to survive as a country, as a democracy, it requires all of us to do this. So, I mean, thank you for what you said, but I, you know, I grew up in Flint, Michigan and, and people that don't know completely what Flint or Detroit is. Um, these are majority black cities. They are also, uh, cities that are, have the largest or one of the largest Arab or Muslim populations in the country. And, and so the, the, the neighbors I grew up with were named Mansour, not Sarsour, Mansour, uh, uh, Gibran, um, uh, the, um, um, uh, the, uh, the Hamities. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm pronouncing these with my Midwestern American. <laughs> but you know, but that was anybody from Flint who knows the, what I, those three names I just mentioned, these were leaders in the community and, uh, and they were our neighbors and our friends. And, um, and it was, it was that it was, a, well, it, it probably had that effect on me. And when the first time I went to, to Palestine, uh, was in 1985 and I had one, uh, like a, a journalism fellowship to go with other journalists. It was the, it was the idea that I think of this group or whatever, if I can remember correctly, was to cover the things that the mainstream media doesn't cover very well. And of course, one of those would be the Arab world and Palestinians. And so we then, we then went on and, and went on into, into the West bank and into Gaza. And, and Linda, I have to say what I witnessed, what I saw as a, as a, a young man um, was so debilitating and demoralizing uh, the way people were forced to live in camps and the way that they were being treated by the Israeli authorities. And um, I ended up on a street in uh, Ramallah uh, with Israeli soldiers firing rubber bullets at me. Yeah. And I was there for, I don't know, a couple, two, three weeks, maybe uh, between Gaza and, uh, and the West bank. But it was, um, it changed my life in terms of how I saw everything. And, uh, um, and I have been committed to this, to the justice around this issue for a very long time. And um, so uh, meeting you and, uh, and others through the years has been a gift to me uh, to, and to remind me that 
Uh, we have to focus on this issue, all of us as Americans. Mm-hmm. Basil, everyone knows who listens, our executive producer. Uh, and, you know, he has one parent who's from Palestine and one from Syria. So we, we really want to talk to you about these issues. But I also wanted you to come on because I've been witnessing over the last couple of days what's been going on at the Democratic Convention with certain Biden supporters. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you, can we just jump into that right now? Um, yeah. So a couple of days ago, sometime, you know, what day was it during the convention here? Um, On Tuesday. And you were invited to speak at a DNC, Democratic National Convention sponsored, uh, one of the, the daytime events that they've been having. And this was a, uh, a, a, a obviously everything's a Zoom Mm-hmm. Meeting, but it was a panel that you were on, uh, and it was primarily intended for the gathering of Muslim, uh, Democratic Muslim delegates to the convention. But other people could watch it and, and tune in. And um, and so they came to you, and uh, you said uh, uh, essentially that uh, you know we some of us we have, you know we have problems <laughs> with the, with the Democratic Party not going far enough on this issue, but. You said, this is our party right now, and we have to get rid of Trump. We have to elect Biden. And, and actually, instead of me saying it, Basil, why don't we, um, why don't we just run, run a bit of a clip of what Linda uh, said on this uh, uh, Muslim, Democratic Muslim delegate panel uh, uh, at the DNC uh, this week? The Democratic Party is not perfect, um, but it is absolutely our party in this moment Um, when we look at the Republican Party that really has developed into a party that has promoted fascism and that has continued to erect in a president who has shown bigotry, not just towards Muslim Americans, but Jewish Americans, immigrant communities, um, anti-women, anti-LGBTQIA communities. And so I am here to say that I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking to defeat fascism. And I hope our Muslim American community understands how important this election is. And after 2021 starts, I promise you, I will be the one to help hold Joe Biden and Kamala Harris accountable to our community. So, you know, wow. I thought that's, uh, you know, this is, I mean, I'm doing the same thing. We're all sort of negotiating our way to, uh, you know, we yes, we were all Bernie supporters, but, uh, um, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it's an important, and Bernie, God love him, you know, the uh, the Muslim Democrats of New York, the Muslim Democrats of Detroit, the Muslim you can go down around the country, all endorsed Bernie Sanders, the Jewish candidate, and had had the backing of Muslim Democrats all across the country, uh, which was a beautiful thing to see. But of course, that's because Bernie will not endorse or support Netanyahu and 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 what the government of Israel is doing to the Palestinians who live there, stealing their land, continuing to take their land, uh, forming settlements, and a whole host of other human rights violations. Um, so that's what you said. I mean, you, you didn't get into, you didn't even, I don't think you even got into Israel. In fact, this is what you actually said, that Donald Trump, uh, we have to fight his bigotry against uh, Muslim communities, against the Jewish communities. That's what you said. Anyways, so what happened after that? that went out because it seems like a shitstorm began. I was minding my own business in Louisville. Ah, that's how every story of yours or mine starts. 
literally minding my own business with my head down in Louisville, Kentucky, fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor. I get invited by some Muslim delegates and Muslim leaders to come to a side panel. I call it the kids table at the DNC to have a conversation with the Muslim delegates. And to be very clear, Michael, I am an official delegate from the great state of New York for Bernie Sanders. So I have an official position as a delegate in the larger DNC. I went to this panel. I spoke for only three minutes. I did not mention BDS. I did not mention Israel. I really just spent the three minutes talking about how we are not a monolithic community, that we are a community that cares about a whole range of issues, including healthcare and you know, infrastructure and the economy and jobs. And while we do, of course, care about foreign policy issues, including Palestine, that we are not to be pigeonholed by any administration or any candidates and that we are a community that is diverse, you know, all the good stuff. And at the end, I said, you know, we all know what the right thing is that we need to all do. And then we will hold the Biden and Harris administration accountable once they're in the White House. And that was it. And what ends up happening, Michael, as happens every time, is that right wing media catches a glimpse, maybe from someone on Twitter or something that I was, you know, on the DNC panel again with Muslim delegates. And of course, the you know, you already know what happens. It, like it just goes crazy. Like everyone's just losing their minds. And what the Biden administration, excuse me, the Biden candidacy did and their campaign did is they they did what a lot of sometimes people in the progressive movement do, which is they immediately cower to right wing media and to the Republicans. And they start feeding into what the Republicans mission is, which is to dismantle the Democratic Party. It would have been very simple, Michael, for anyone in the Biden campaign to say, we are a big Ted party and there are people in our party that we are not going to always agree with, including on issues of Israel and Palestine. We do not support the boycott divestment sanctions movement. And we also, here's our track record and here's Biden's track record on Israel. And it would have all been done. We would have all just wrapped it up and we would have all went home. But what the Biden campaign spokesperson decided to do is to immediately cower by condemning my views is what they said specifically. Um, So he said, we condemn her views. And what's problematic about that, Michael, is that I am not a fringe leader in my community. I am quite mainstream, which means that the views that I hold, 98.7% of people in my community hold. So when you come condemn my views as a vehement critic of the state of Israel and its human rights violations against the Palestinian people, my support of the very nonviolent boycott divestment sanctions movement, which, as you know, is really not a organization. It's a longstanding tactic that has been used around South African apartheid. It was used here in the 60s in the civil rights movement. And I support nonviolence at, at every chance that I get. I am trained in Kingian nonviolence. And so anytime there is a movement presented to me to support and uplift the marginalized people that is rooted in nonviolence, I am going to support it because the only other option will be violence. And I am not a person who endorses any violence by any group of people. And so what, 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 what is, we're in a moment right now, Michael, where the Democratic Party needs to catch up to you and me, and I'm not going to catch up to the Democratic Party because they're all the way behind me 30 years. And one of the things that really outrages the right wing against me in particular is because I am a very consistent voice. I do not cower. I do not change my positions. I hold strong to the things that I believe in. And what's happening in the democracy and the democratic process and the electoral politics in America is that we are electing people who share my politics. So when you look at the Ilhan and the Rashidas of the world, when you look at the Cori Bush, who just literally defeated a 50-year dynasty 
in St. Louis, Missouri, who was a Ferguson protester and also a supporter of Palestinian human rights and a supporter of BDS. When you watch what happened in New York recently with Jamal Bowman and Representative Elliot Engel, one of the staunchest pro-Israel uh, elected that we probably have ever had, and the list goes on. And so that's what's bothering them about me. And if they feel happy that the Biden administration had to make the point that I wasn't part of the Biden campaign, which thank God they did that, Michael, because my credibility would have been shot. I needed them to remind people that I'm not with the Biden campaign. If that's what made them happy and right-wing Zionist happy, good for you. Because what's really happening in the movements that I'm a part of is, is our the fruits of our labor are on the streets. They're in the electeds that are moving forward. But the one thing that really got me kind of a little upset, Michael, because I'm not usually upset because I've been here so many times before, Number one, it's a blatant disrespect for the communities that I come from. And as you mentioned earlier, you cannot win Michigan without my community. And there's nobody that knows how to organize Michigan Muslims more than I do. And I've done that many, many times before, including for Bernie Sanders' historic win back in 2016. I have, and there's Muslims in Pennsylvania, in Virginia, in Wisconsin, in Ohio, in Florida, and Texas. And so there has to be a retraction and an apology to our larger Muslim American community and that needs to happen ASAP. Um, and if it doesn't, I don't know how I'm supposed to go around and try to figure out how to convince people in my community to vote for Joe Biden. But what really pissed me off, Michael, is I've been watching the DNC and there was a women's tribute. And as you know, we're now around the 100th anniversary of the, of the white women's right to vote, let's be clear. And they did a women's tribute and they were showing clips of you know women winning, running, you know, when they won office, the victory speeches and stuff right, like that. I, I saw that, yeah. yeah. Guess which two Muslim American women were not in the video? <laughs> could, it have been the, could it have been the two members of Congress who won in landslides this past month? Exactly. Or maybe the Muslim women who come from states that we must win in the general election in 2020. Oh, did I fail to mention that, that those two Congresswomen are from Michigan and Minnesota? Exactly. And so they, so they were immediately like they were erased as if they don't even exist, Michael. And they are two very prominent not only are they Muslim American, but they are prominent leaders in the progressive movement, and they have been some of the most vocal yes. members of Congress. So they, they're erased. But you know what they do show, Michael? Clips of me and the Women's March. So you want to disavow <laughs> me one day, but then right. you want to play clips of my labor and try to claim that it's somehow an extension of the Democratic Party. And you know when you came to the Women's March, that was not a Democratic March. That was no. a march for anyone who believes in freedom, democracy, equity, justice, prosperity for all people in America. And so I am disgusted that in one, it's kind of like you got to pick the song, right? You got to pick the flavor, hurry up. Either you're going to disavow Muslim American women and their communities and say, we don't want you in this party, or you're not going to play our labor and show us and our faces in your video and my labor in particular and then the next day you're disavowing me for no reason at all unprovoked. I mean, it, and also, Michael, if you've been watching the DNC, notice that there is not one single Muslim on the main stage. In 2016, believe it or not, there were Muslims on the main stage. We have Ilhan and Rashida. We have, uh, you know, Attorney General Keith Ellison. You have Andre Carson. You have Muslims who won statewide, I mean, state offices across this country, Muslim city council members. You also have people like Dr. Abdullah Sayyid, a prominent voice on healthcare and a, you know, candidate that was, as you know, ran for gubernatorial seat in Michigan. I mean, the brilliance in, in our community is unmatched. We have everything that you need. 
but not one single person, Michael, from our community was on that main stage. And you erase our two Muslim American women in Congress. And then you use the labor of a Muslim American woman who helped spark a resistance against fascism in America. But then you disavow her and her communities the next day. I can't even make this stuff up, Michael. Yeah. I, I just And just so people understand, when she says disavow, uh, Andrew uh, Bates, who's one of the chief spokespeople for the Biden campaign, uh, when a right wing Republican. This is how this all came about. It got ignited by this uh, Boris. Uh, what's He's uh, one of Trump's top mm-hmm. advisors. Um, uh, 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 sent out a tweet uh, uh, trashing and smearing you uh, for, for being there. Not even quoting you. Just nope. the fact that, you're, that you were alive. The fact that you were present. And so he, he sent this tweet out. It was picked up by uh, some news service. And all of a sudden, the Biden campaign gets gets frightened and scared and has to issue a, f- a public statement to CNN. This Andrew Bates is his name. Mm-hmm. And he said he said the following. Joe Biden has been a strong supporter of Israel and a vehement uh, opponent of anti-Semitism his entire life. And he obviously condemns her views and opposes BDS, as does the Democratic platform. She, meaning you, has no role in the Biden campaign whatsoever. Um, I wish they'd issue a statement like that about me that I have. I just want everybody to know I have no role in this. Uh, You're right. You should wear it as a badge of honor, but this, this to come directly from the campaign to, to take on and take apart one individual. And this individual happens to be one of the people that helped put on one of the four women that were the co-chairs of the Women's March and all the other things that you've done. And you are a prominent progressive voice in this country, not just in the Muslim community. Yes, in the Muslim community. Yes, amongst Palestinian Americans. But but you and what you've done you know, go way beyond that. And I think just so people listening to this understand that they, that they not only erased Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar from the convention, they uh, they went after a delegate to the convention, mm-hmm. a delegate you, a Democratic delegate to the convention, who sat on a panel that was under their auspices, who was invited to be there, and who did not use your you did not use your time to list the 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 things that Israel has done to the Palestinian people. You didn't use your time. To talk about BDS, by the way, for people who don't know what BDS is, it's not an underwear. It is uh, it is a movement, uh, much like the apartheid movement with South Africa, to get uh, institutions, people, organizations, whatever, to put pressure on the government of Israel, and in this case right now, Netanyahu, uh, to uh, stop, stop occupying this land, stop building these uh, 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 settlements. Stop taking away a whole host of rights. You call yourself a democracy, and there is no democracy uh, for not just uh, Palestinians in the occupied territories, but, but for for Israeli Arabs and people who who actually are citizens of Israel but happen to be Muslim or Arab. Um, so BDS boycott. Um, um, uh, I'm sorry, my brain just went blank. Sanction boycott. Divestment and sanctions. Uh, that is the way you nonviolently put pressure on any government around the world. 
to change their ways. And um, I'm just, I'm, and so, so there has been this firestorm on the internet amongst, uh, you know, people at the convention, virtually at the convention about the way that you and other Muslim women have been treated uh, by, uh, by this party and by this convention and now by a top spokesman for Joe Biden. And, uh, and he didn't need to say all, all those things, uh, that, you know, to show that he's a strong supporter of Israel and he's against anti-Semitism. Well, you're, first of all, you are against anti-Semitism. You are, first of all, you're a Semite, uh, or Semite American, but you are, but you, you, I've seen you speak and I've seen you at things, uh, your love for all people. And that includes, and maybe especially Jewish people, um, is so evident that uh, this rap, once they start the lie, what's the old saying? You give a lie a 24 hour head start. There's no catching up to it. And the, the way that, that you have been um, slandered when you are a voice for peace, you are a voice for equality. And, and, and I think I can say this, uh, I mean, I'll say it for myself and you could agree or disagree I want Jewish people around the world to know that if anybody ever attempts to do what happened to Jewish citizens of this planet in the last century, I will be the first to stand between those who are attempting to remove you and yourself. I will be there. I will risk my life to protect you. I, and here's the, and what I say, to people who don't understand the Palestinian issue, if you can't say the same exact thing that you would do it for Palestinians, then you saying that you would support or defend or do this for Israel or Jews around the world, you have no credibility if you aren't willing to do it for Palestinians or for anybody who is, who is under attack around this world. You could, you could agree or disagree with any of that. I mean, Michael, it, it I'm the I'm the person that is a student of history in America, and there has never been any leader that you could name that has stood up against the status quo and stood up unapologetically for the communities that they come from that has not been vilified, that has not been demonized. And in fact, some of the leaders that we claim to memorialize today are those same people. Dr. Martin Luther King, as you know, was uh, when there was a, a pew poll that came out at the time of the civil rights movement. 66% of Americans did not agree with the mission of the civil rights movement or with Dr. Martin Luther That's King. Right. That's he right. also wrote you letters from the Birmingham jail. He did not write you letters from the ivory towers that he was in at the time. He was, as you know, coerced by the FBI. His groups were infiltrated by the FBI. J. Edgar Hoover at the time called him the most dangerous Negro in America. I know this from following the teachings of Malcolm X. And if you go and watch, um, I recently watched the documentary of Reese Taylor, uh, the rape of Reese Taylor and watched the treatment that 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 Rosa Parks received as an organizer of uh, uh, from the NAACP at the time. We have seen leaders from Marcus Garvey, others assassinated, people beaten in the streets, hoses being put out on them. I mean, when if you look at some of the headlines, in, you know, fifty five years ago around the civil rights movement, especially when Dr. Martin Luther King started coming out against the Vietnam War, they started saying that his his comments were borderline treasonous. And that he was becoming too militant 
And so, so for me, I'm not moved by any of these vandal, you know, these vandal, whatever you want to call them, these like slander campaigns. I'm going to keep doing what I do, Michael. And the bottom line is the Democratic Party needs me more than I need them. And so I don't organize, um, in a, and you know me, I'm a Democratic Socialist. I organize with the Democratic Socialist of America. I, my politics um, and the way I organize is rooted in grassroots organizing. I believe in the power of workers. I believe in the power of immigrants and black people and people of color and poor people. That's where I am. And that's why I am a threat to the status quo, because I know how to bring people together. And I'm going to keep doing this work, Michael. And I can, and, and as you can see, here I am. I'm still talking to Michael Moore on his amazing podcast that just got to 15 million listeners. Um, I have wrote a book. <laughs> I was published just this year, not four years ago, this year in March um, by Simon & Schuster, one of the largest publishers in the world. And my voice is still here. And here I am in Louisville, Kentucky, doing what I know how to do best is, which is not to be a bystander. I will not live in a country that does not bring justice to a black woman who was killed at the hands of law enforcement. So what I tell the critics is these are your last gasps of white supremacy. Um, you, your days are numbered. Our voices, Michael, are going to be the mainstream. And, I, and I'm gonna, that's why I keep enduring. That's why I keep moving forward and I stay focused because I, as Martin Luther King said, I see the promised land. I may not get there, Michael, but I see the promised land and I'm going to focus on the promised land and that 50 year vision I have of a country where we're all going to be treated with dignity and respect. I may not live 50 more years and that's okay with me. I'm content with the life that I live, but I'm going to continue to be unapologetically Palestinian, unapologetically Muslim. I'm going to un stay an unapologetic supporter of the nonviolent movement of boycott, divestment and sanctions. I'm going to continue to call out countries across the world who engage in human rights violation, including Saudi Arabia, including the state of Israel, including China when it comes to Uyghur Muslims. And that is who I am. I am consistent, Michael, which is what makes me a threat. I don't have any problem to call out people in my own community or people outside of my community when I see an injustice occur or I see someone who's saying something that's harming others. But at the same time, I am also not a perfect leader. I'm a flawed human being. And there are going to be some times, Michael, where we say things and Rashida and Ilhan have said the same. Sometimes we may say something and the impact is not the intent. And I am a big person and I'm an adult and I'm very happy to apologize for things that may have hurt someone or things that people may be offended by. But what you're never going to take away from me is my very consistent two decade track record of solidarity and action, including solidarity with Jewish American communities across the country. I am the first person in the United States of America to stand up anytime that there is a hate crime or a vandalism or a desecration of a cemetery when it, in relation to Jewish communities, I've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I'm not a person that just talks, Michael, I do the work. And I'm going to keep doing the work because you know why? My community counts on me, Michael, and I'm not going to cower and I'm not going to be afraid because what happens is if I do, there are going to be little Muslim girls in my community who need someone to say, I can do that. I can speak up for myself. I can defend myself. I can wear this hijab proudly and go to university and go to school. I can get any job that I want to. I can be an astronaut. I can be an activist. I can be a doctor or a lawyer. And that is my role. And I'm going to continue to play it regardless of what the opposition says, but they can keep having some fun because their time is limited and I'm excited about what's to come for our people. Wow. Um, you know, my first thought just listening to that is wanting to um, express my gratitude for you willing to not back down, to take the risks uh, that you're taking. Um, 
I, I want you to live another 50 years and I want you to be around, uh, because, you know, we're going to, to need you. I just, I think that this attack on you and it's not a new attack. It's, it's the, it started after the women's march. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I watched that documentary, uh, that I think it was on stars, maybe, um, one of the cable mm-hmm. channels called this is, this is personal. I think is the name yep. of the documentary. Mm-hmm. Yep. Basically, it follows. It shows you guys, you know, putting together the march and everything, which is really cool footage that I've never seen before. That you you obviously let them film. Um, you were putting this together, but 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 after the march is really what the film focuses on, and uh, the the difficulties that uh, each of you have just trying to have you or your family survive during this uh, Trump era. And, um, and, but there's a scene near the end, um, because, um, you know, various, uh, groups, uh, were, that were attacking you. you, you offered to meet with one of, 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 um, I think the leaders, it was a, a woman who's a rabbi mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, uh, to sit down and you let the cameras film. And she tells Tamika, um, all these things that b- bother her. And it, it was painful. It was almost cringe-inducing for me. She sat there in a very, I would say, loving way, listening. And you wanted to hear what her pain was. But for me, as a viewer, it was just this sort of uh, patronizing, condescending way. Um, and, uh, you know, and maybe I'm being too harsh on her. Uh, but, but, you know, wanting you, like, she wasn't going to go forward unless you denounced um, something. I don't know. Was it Farrakhan or somebody? I don't know. <laughs> yep. You all had to denounce somebody or something. And and unless you do, we're not going to support you. So stand. I'm not saying another word till you denounce. And, and, and just so you know, Michael, this has been a litmus test for so many people for like decades. But the thing that you mentioned, which I think is really important is that we would never do that to any other community. I would never go into any community and say, denounce your leaders or go to other communities and try to, you know, tell them what to say and how to say it, you know, and Tamika, as you know, was really clear about saying that there are absolutely things that she vehemently disagrees with the minister on, but we all got into a a situation and it's similar actually to what happened here at the DNC. And I want to show you how this is a cycle. What happens is the right wing takes a moment, creates a controversy out out of it, And instead of progressives understanding what the agenda is of the right, which is to dismantle the movements that we're a part of, the progressives always fall for the trap. And so instead of saying, listen, we have to have a courageous conversation. There is some things we need to work through, some things we need to understand, some thing clarifications we need. But we are not going to abandon these leaders who have built a strong movement in America because we need this movement. Instead, they immediately played into the fodder of the right wing. And that's what really happened to the Women's March. The Women's March had a lot of potential, Michael. And that's the same thing that happened to the DNC. Instead of saying, we're, we're, we could say we disagree and we're going to have these conversations within our party and we're going to debate and the debate is an important part of democracy. Instead, they immediately paid, forward, paid fodder to and appeased the right wing. And again, the mission of the right wing is to dismantle the political power that we have b- built. So my message really to progressives is, yes, will we disagree? Yes, will we hurt one another? Yes, will we sometimes um, disagree vehemently on issues? Absolutely. And that is normal, Michael. Unity is not uniformity. The fact that the right figures out how to be united um, and, and have a kind of united front, although we also know they disagree on many things within their party, 
but somehow we haven't figured out how to do that. So my thing to progressives is let's have the courageous conversations, but do not feed the right wing exactly what they, it's like. It's like the progressive like, and I and I mean more center progressives, I guess, or neoliberals. It's like they they put the ribeye steak on the plate and they pass it to the Republicans every time. And I'm and I'm one of those people. I don't fall for that, Michael, because I see the right. tactics happen for decades and I've read about them. I've studied them. And I'm not going to play into the Republicans' hands. But you know what? Unfortunately, the party that we are supposed to be part of does it all the time. So they're ready to appease Republicans by throwing a very important voter block under the bus. I mean, it's like just outrageous. And you mentioned earlier, I want to just underline, underscore this. When you, when what they, what they did this week uh, to disavow you and, and to erase Muslims, especially Muslim women, from this convention that um, they don't understand, you know, we are actually in this to win. They don't look like they're in it to win because why would you, why would you piss off? Let's just take Michigan, for example, which has this large Muslim and Arab community. Hillary Clinton lost Michigan by 10,000 votes Mm -hmm. in 2016. I can guarantee you there are more than 10,000 Muslim Americans and Arab Americans in uh, in Michigan, mm-hmm. and why why you why you would just just disavow and do this to a group that you need to win the state of Michigan, and the poll that came out this week that showed that Trump had closed the gap in Michigan, the NBC poll, to four points behind Biden. You need every Muslim vote in Detroit and Flint. In Lansing and Ann Arbor, you need every single Arab American voting against Trump for Biden. And and why you would risk? Why would you risk that? And 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 you mentioned the other states too, the large Muslim community that's in Texas, in Florida, in Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, and in in Minnesota. That's represented. This entire city of Minneapolis is represented by Ilhan Omar. Why why you would do this? I I just. I don't understand why the Biden campaign during the convention would feel like they have to make this kind of statement and risk losing that kind of support in key swing states that we're going to win if we win them by just a few thousand votes. Mm -hmm. And my thing, Michael, is, you know, I'm a bigger person and this is not about me. Um, I understand the stakes of this election. And really what I've been focused on over the last year, and you've probably seen some of the campaigns I've worked on, is local politics. Because I believe in this idea, and Bernie Sanders really reaffirmed my belief around this from the bottom up. And I hope that the enthusiasm that people can't find with Biden and Harris, which are many, you find it with a local candidate that really excites you, that that carries a platform that speaks to you and knock the doors and do the text messaging and do the phone calls. And hopefully the turnout that we create around some of these exciting local candidates will hopefully trickle to the top Um, because I'm not really in a, I I really tried Michael as hard as possible to reframe this election for progressives who are really just, you know, their, their hearts were broken. You know, people said, as you know, I mean, I was about, I was a Bernie supporter, but I would have done really well with an, with a Warren administration. And, 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 and now we ended up with Biden. And so I keep telling people, just choose your opponent. And, and that's what elected officials are. They are tools to help us get to the things that we are fighting for, like health care and, you know, 
protecting our planet and just foreign policy and ending wars and bringing more funding to our schools, et cetera. And, and that's, that's really the frame of mind that I have because I wasn't offended by this idea that I wasn't, I did not have a role in the Biden campaign. I do not want a role in the Biden campaign because the Biden campaign does not align with my values and principles. But what I do know is that Trump is a fascist and Trump has wreaked havoc on the communities that I love in the last four years. Not to say that those communities were not already hurting before Trump, let's be clear, but he accelerated the pain and trauma on these undocumented communities, LGBTQIA communities, refugees, Muslims, and of course, black communities and poor people. And so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm still going to keep my, as they say, keep my head in the game um, because there, there's too much people hurting in this country. And you know that, Michael, and you've spoken very eloquently about this before. But the Biden campaign made a big mistake. I may be a bigger woman and I'm the adult in the room, but they have to remember that they have to convince the voters of the things that I'm saying and also convince the voters that Biden truly will be different um, than Donald Trump, or at least that the circumstances we live in will become different if there was a different administration. So what do we do? What do we do now after their behavior uh, this past week? where they publicly had to disavow you, where they erased the existence of Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. What has happened here? And what do we now, Linda, you, myself, other progressives who are listening to this, people voted for Bernie, but all of us, all of us committed to removing Donald J. Trump from the White House. What, what, I mean, give us some guidance here. What do we do uh, because we can't stay home and Trump can't continue to stay home at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So you, I mean, you've had a few days to think about this. Um, uh, what, what, how do we, how do we handle uh, this? Um, I don't know what to call this, this behavior of the democratic party toward Arab and Muslim Americans. Typical is what I well, call t- it. That's kind to call it typical. Uh, mm-hmm. That's on one end. And the other on the other end of the spectrum, you can call it racist. Yes. It, oh, absolutely. Absolutely rooted in, in, in Islamophobia and anti-Palestinian sentiment. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm telling people, Michael. And again, you know, the, the Democratic Party and Biden just got to hear from the people. You know, I'm going to continue to do the work that I need to do um, with my communities. As you know, I'm the leader of the My Muslim Vote campaign. That's literally what I do for a living. Like that's my other real job that I organize Muslim voters around the country. I train Muslim American organizers in voter registration, voter engagement, volunteer recruitment and retention, how to use the van, which is, as you know, the voter activation network, which is the online system for voters. This is what I do for a living. So I was really the wrong person to be messing with in this whole situation. But what I was saying, what I'm saying to people is we have to defeat this fascist in the White House. There is no qualms. I have no doubt in my mind. I don't, I don't reflect on this. I wake up in the morning saying we have to defeat this fascist. But the Biden campaign also needs to hear from folks about how they need to apologize to Arab American and Muslim American communities. They have to be able to go on the record, Michael, and say that we are a big tent party. We don't always agree on everything, but all people are welcomed in our party. We will have the spirited debates because that is what makes democracy great. And then from there, we can do the work that needs to be done. But right now, Muslim American voters feel alienated by the Biden administration and what they're and what and the other thing that the Biden administration has to understand, or excuse me, the Biden campaign has to understand, Michael, is that if I'm claiming to progressives that I'm going to hold Biden accountable when he becomes the president of the United States of America, 
how can I say that and people believe me and maintain credibility if I can't even hold him accountable and he's a candidate? So I hope that more people go out and tell the Biden campaign, listen, you kind of messed up this time. It's okay. People make mistakes. There's a lot of things happening in the campaign. I don't expect campaigns to be perfect. But if it was just about me, Michael, I've been here before many times. Like I said, I'm good. I'm great. I'm, you know, I'm still doing the work that I love. But you got to apologize to our Arab American and Muslim American communities. I mean, there have been letters sent by the Arab American Institute, the uh, American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, by the largest civil rights organizations, CARE, which you've spoken on many of their events. I mean, letters written by M-Gage Action, which is a large um, PAC um, uh, that, that, uh, you know, elects people in office and they have endorsed Biden. The DNC delegates right now are writing a, 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 you know, writing a letter with the signatories from the from the de, from the delegation of DNC delegates around the country who are calling for a retraction and an apology to me and Arab American and Palestinian American communities, like there was no reason for all of this, Michael. We've got work to do. Just say that you messed up. Say that it won't happen again. Say right. that we are people who don't, who would disagree, and that's okay because that's what democracy is all about. And we move on from here, Michael. Like I can I cannot be responsible yeah. for the mess for the mess up of a white man in a campaign, he needs to take ownership for poor use of words and for also being a coward. Because what he did was he cowered to right-wing media and he cowered Mm -hmm. to pro-Israel groups who are not voting for Biden anyway. Right. We're talking about Andrew Bates, the spokesman for uh, Joe Biden. Why don't I'll tell you this for people who are listening on the podcast uh, page here uh, where you're listening to me, I will put a link uh, to where you can send your letter uh, whether it's, uh, I'll, it'll be to the Biden campaign or whatever, but somewhere I'll have this link and, and we're all going to, not just you, Linda, we're all going to ask them to apologize to Arab Americans and to Muslim Americans, uh, for what was said and, and how the, uh, DNC itself, um, did their best to ignore the Muslim American community, uh, during the convention. Um, we want an apology. And uh, we want the assurance that they're going to be supportive of Arab Americans and Muslim Americans and, and state that it is a big tent and we can have our disagreements. We can have our disagreements about Israel, Palestine. That should be okay. Uh, but to just, but to try to just shut down and throw under the bus one of this country's uh, prominent and important um, uh, I don't mean to embarrass you here, but it, it, one of our prominent leaders uh, on the progressive left and amongst and, and in the Arab and Muslim community, this is just wrong. And it won't take any of us 10 seconds to just drop that that note uh, to the Biden campaign. And we're asking you to do this, not because uh, Linda's feelings are hurt. It is because we want to win this. We want to remove Trump. And they are they are risking they are risking us not getting the votes that we're going to need now from a community that they've dissed and they've got, they've got to make that right. That's just good politics. Even if in their heart of hearts, they don't maybe believe it. They got to do it. They got to do it. And I encourage everybody listening to this to go to that link and send your thoughts uh, to the Biden campaign. Hey, um, if you, if you don't mind just uh, hanging on a second before we go any further, I want to give a, a shout out. Uh, to one of our underwriters who support me, support this uh, podcast. Uh, they're called Express VPN. Uh, you've heard me talk about them uh, before. If you've ever searched for something online and, you know, maybe you didn't want anybody to know what you were searching for. Hello, NSA, right? 
Yeah, this is like your privacy. And yet, boom, folks, I think we all know what happens here. Once you go on to something, they grab your information and they sell it. And this is why I am happy to have ExpressVPN as an underwriter of the show because I support their attitudes toward uh, privacy and to help you and me when we go online have that privacy. And now, probably some of you are thinking, hey, Mike, what are you talking about? You know, I'm, I use the incognito mode to hide my online activity. The government, nobody will ever know. No corporation will ever know. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm here to tell you something. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times uh, you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider, your ISP, right? They can still see every single website that you've ever visited. That's why even when you're at home, you shouldn't go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is easy to use and it runs seamlessly in the background. You don't even know it's there. It doesn't, doesn't affect anything you're doing. And it's available on all your devices, whether you're using your phone, your computer, uh, your smart TV, two tin cans and a string. No, okay, I don't think, no, okay, sorry. I've just been told it does not work with that. But you can maintain your privacy no matter how you're going online if you use ExpressVPN. So, and so I'm suggesting that uh, you give it a shot here. You go to exp- expressvpn.com slash rumble. And if you get a one-year package with them, uh, they'll give you an extra three months because you're a listener of this podcast, a podcast that they support. So go to express, that's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, VPN, expressvpn.com slash rumble to learn more. And again, thank you personally. I thank ExpressVPN for being one of the underwriters that have decided that this podcast must be heard by as many millions of people as possible. Can I, I just, before we go, I just, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing in Louisville, Kentucky. So, okay. So you, you live in Brooklyn. That's the last I knew you were in Brooklyn and now you, you are in Louisville. So you, I mean, and you have, I, I, you have kids. I, I don't, I, I don't know their ages right now, but um, what, it seems like you have again made a sacrifice to go to Louisville and organize so that the murderers of Breonna Taylor are brought to justice. And, um, I mean, just tell me, tell me about what made you decide to do that and how is it going there? And, and, uh, and how much does your family miss you? So I'm fortunate, uh, Michael, to have children who want, my son's about to graduate college. I have a daughter in her third year of college and a daughter who's 16 years old. So she's in going to 11th grade. And so my children, thank God are, and have been for a really long time based on my work, a very independent, um, group of teenagers and I love them and I miss them very much. Uh, you know, Michael, I've been sitting at home in Brooklyn, New York. It's where I'm born and raised. It's where I live. And I want, you know, during quarantine, as you know, in New York, it was a very sad situation with COVID and I was quarantined for about 65 days. And then one day, um, I got a call um, from Tamika and uh, attorney Benjamin Crump, who has been working with the family of Brianna Taylor. And remember she was murdered on March 13th of 20. 20. Right. So that was right in the beginning of the pandemic. So we went, to, we actually broke quarantine on Memorial Day weekend and we went all the way to Louisville, Kentucky. We met the mother of Brianna Taylor, Tamika Palmer, her aunt Bianca, her sister Janaya, and just a beautiful group of people, including Kenneth Walker, who is the boyfriend of Brianna Taylor, who right. shot the warning shot when the cops came to the house. And believe it or not, until we got there in May, 
Nobody even knew who Breonna Taylor was. Nobody knew that she was murdered by the LMPD. Remember, she's also an essential worker. She was an EMT. And so we have been going back and forth to Louisville, Kentucky since Memorial Day weekend. We've been here six times. And what happened eventually is we made the decision and said, we cannot just keep going back and forth. We're going to build community here. We're going to build a a resilient, longstanding community with the local organizers and protesters here. And we're going to bring resources. And that's one of the things that I also have a lot of Michael and Tamika and others. We bring a lot of resources to the table. We're skilled organizers. We know people that can you know, support us. And we have not taken any, you know, financial resources from any local people here, even the bail, you know, we have a little money stashed aside for bail and things like that. And so that's where I am. I moved indefinitely to uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And you know, that's a very hard thing for someone from Brooklyn, New York to do. Um, Louisville, Kentucky is in the South. Um, We, this is an open carry state, people with guns. We have posted photos of helicopters um, of the LMPD that follow us everywhere that we go. They hover over the houses that we live in. They follow our cars. Even if I'm going just to the grocery store or just to go down the street to like the Rite Aid or the pharmacy, they have um, uh, placed uh, police offices around the perimeters of the blocks that we live around. And, you know, and and, and we've also been as, you know, as you know, white supremacist groups um, on Facebook that are in Kentucky have been posting about us, threatening us. They know us by name. And so for me, I don't care about any of that, Michael. And I knew that before I came to Louisville, Kentucky. And it's the person that I am. I am not going to be a bystander. And I will not live in a country where black women will get murdered at the hands of the state and nobody does anything about it. And the one thing that I have observed is even in the case of George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks and others who have recently been murdered at the hands of police, there has been some semblance of progress or justice. So with, with George Floyd, the four police officers within a matter of a week were all fired and arrested and charged. And then Keith Ellison within three weeks, who's the attorney general of Minnesota upgraded the charges. Also when it came to Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, there has, there was some progress around charging of one police officer, but for some reason, when the black women are murdered at the hands of the state, there is no justice. So whether that's Rakia Boyd, whether that's Sandra Bland, Eleanor Bumpers, Deborah Danner, and I can sit here for days and name many more names, Michael. And I'm not going to be part of that generation. I'm going to be part of the generation that says black women will be respected, black women will be protected, and they will live safely in our communities, including in their own homes, which is what happened to Breonna Taylor. So um, that's where we are. And we are going to do whatever it takes. Um, We're putting every resource that we have, Michael, which is why the whole controversy that I'm in this week even hurts even more because I'm minding my own business and I'm doing what other people really should be doing, which is to fight for justice for people in our communities and be willing to sacrifice for it. And here I am doing that and I'm still getting attacked and vilified, you know, anyway, justice for Breonna Taylor, everyone. Yes. Uh, Well, of course I endorse that. And it's amazing when you said you went there um, Memorial Day weekend. So you went there just a day or two before George Floyd was murdered. And then we went to, I, I, we actually drove from Louisville to Minneapolis. We were in Minneapolis. Right. Yes. You eventually, you got there uh, a day or two afterwards. And um, I can't thank you enough for the work that you've done, that you're doing. Um, um, I want you to come back on another time. Cause I really want to get into this issue of, um, of, what we're going to do to help the Palestinian people. This is, they just get forgotten. We get, we, we have one crises after another. Uh, uh, this time this year, it's, it's COVID this year. It's finally a mass uprising against the police killing 
of, of black and brown people in this country. And these are, these are things, yes, we have to deal with this virus. We have to deal with the other viruses of Trump and police murder and these things. But, but we cannot, we cannot leave behind the Palestinian people. It's, I've seen it firsthand. It's, I wish I could take everybody over there, every American, and just spend, just spend a few days, walk, walk the walk, uh, in Bethlehem, you know, in, in Ramallah, in Gaza city. Um, it's, uh, it will blow your mind and it'll doubly blow your mind because the thought will be in the back of your head somewhere. I'm paying for this. Mm-hmm. My and tax we are, dollars. We are paying for it. And you know, you know, Michael, the fact that we're still fighting for healthcare for all in America and people say we don't have the resources. It's too expensive. We can't open new schools in Chicago. We have crumbling infrastructure. I mean, if you came, Michael, to, I actually wanted to talk up to you separately about this. There's, you know, just watching the crumbling infrastructure here in Louisville, the absolute atrocious poverty that no one should have to endure in the United States of America. But somehow we figure out how to find $10 million per day to give to the state of Israel in military aid to occupy the Palestinian people. The, the, the American people don't need to understand the Palestinians. You, you don't need to understand the history of the politics. What the American people have to ask is, will the United States of America prioritize the American people, those who live in this country, by providing them ac- adequate health care and education and infrastructure and, and transportation and all the things that we need to thrive in this country instead of giving away that money to a state that continues to violate the human rights of other people? That's a qu- question people should ask when it comes to their taxpayer dollars. People are paying a lot in taxes, Michael. And that's where your taxpayer dollar goes. So we are complicit in what's happening in Palestine. And for us in this moment, Michael, and I'd love to have a longer conversation with you about this. This is our South African apartheid moment, right? This is our global social justice issue of our generation. And so while there were people who were vilified for standing against South African apartheid, guess what? They were consistent. Um, the United States government was against the, 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 the calls to end South African apartheid. Guess who else was against it? the state of Israel. And so the United States and Israel have always been on the wrong side, but we, the American people find ourselves on the right side with a government that doesn't represent our values. And now we're talking about that in the context of Palestine. So free Palestine, peace and justice for all. And I really love and appreciate you, Michael, for all the work that you do, both the loud work that you do, Michael, and also the quiet work. (laughs) A lot of people know the quiet work that you've done supporting refugees and supporting communities and even individuals um, in, in many of our communities who may not have even had a piece of bread to eat and you have come quietly like a big Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And I want to know that I see you and I appreciate you. That's, that's very sweet of you to say that. I only do what I think everybody else is doing or should do or will do because I have a big, a big belief uh, in the majority of my fellow Americans will do the right thing if given the chance and if shown the truth. Uh, it's... Uh, I, I, I just believe in that and I will continue to do what I can do. I know that you will. And I want everybody listening to this right now uh, to make that, that same commitment. Um, we are going to remove Donald Trump. Uh, it, we cannot take it for granted though. Um, he outsmarted everybody four years ago. Don't think he can't do it again. And, um, but we have to, we have to make this party that we've offered to go and help and vote for They've got, they have got to have, they've got to have a sense 
that they are representing all of the American people. They cannot leave out certain groups or certain people because it's convenient to do so, because they don't hold massive power. We're at our best when we stand up for the for the little woman, the little guy, the little person, the the person. When we say little, we mean not by size, but by lack of lack of massive power and lack of ownership of our system. The people that own it can no longer own it, and we are going to fix this. Uh, Linda's generation, mine, we're all together. We're not going to allow this anymore. There, there, it is in the air. Everybody knows it. The change is coming. It won't come on its own, though. It doesn't have wings up in the air. It only works when we do the work. So I encourage everybody who's listening to this to do what they need to do, what they can do, um, and to be supportive, especially of our Arab American and Muslim American sisters and brothers. Um, we, we, will, we will be at our best when we're seen standing side by side with those who are vilified for what? Mm-hmm. For just, just the way they were born? Is that who we are? No, that's not who we are. Linda, thank you so much for this. And um, uh, hang in there. Uh, maybe I'll see you in Louisville. Uh, I, I, we can't rest until there's justice here for Brianna Taylor. Um, everybody get involved in that. Um, and Linda, what are the, the groups that you mentioned um, that people could look up? and get behind. What are, go ahead and give that again. Just go to untilfreedom.com and you'll get all the information there. And I want to shout out some great groups in Louisville, the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, No Justice, No Peace, the Louisville Urban League, Transform Louisville Collective, and the many, many individual protesters who have been on the front lines for over 82 days here, Michael. They have been very inspiring. Um, and I'm just so honored to be in community with them and to be their neighbor here in Louisville, Kentucky. So untilfreedom.com. Untilfreedom.com. Yes, they have been very inspiring in Louisville and they have faced, you have all faced a uh, violence from the uh, Louisville police that mm-hmm. has been um, unconscionable. So um, be safe, hang in there. Uh, it goes to you and it goes to everybody else out there um, who's listening. Thank you uh, for tuning in to this today. Um, This is Rumble. I'm Michael Moore, and we'll be back together um, shortly. Thank you. Thank you.